Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And I am your host, Matt Chatham, former Patriots and Jets linebacker. Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-hosts, both guys that have written for footballbyfootball.com in the past, guys I've played against and with. Uh, first of all, I want to go with Gray Rugamer. Rugi, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, things are good, man. It's Wednesday. Yes, it is. It is. It's good stuff. Uh, and Rugi was a, a, a an offensive lineman, played at Arizona State, played for years in the NFL, has a couple Super Bowl rings. I played with Rugi in, in New England, and he went on and got another one with the Giants later on down the road. Uh, we've also got with us today Rocky Boyman, former uh, linebacker from Notre Dame that played years in the NFL as well, got a Super Bowl ring himself with the Indianapolis Colts. What's up, Rock? How we doing, guys? Glad to be here. Not bad. Well, hey, we, we'll just, just dive right into this thing and get after it. Uh, today's topic, uh, just sort of a roundtable deal here of a bunch of former players talking about stuff that you read about a lot. You'll see other people do segments on it on TV, and we wanted to give you a little more of an inside look of how it actually goes down in real time. We're going to talk today about this idea of changing positions in the NFL. You know, obviously the, the NFL draft is the hot talk right now and how these guys that might be considered a tweener or, or guys that aren't but that will go into the NFL and have to play in a different system, how do they make that adjustment? I know all three of us here on today's show have, have done that in some shape or form. And we're going to sort of divide this conversation into a few different areas. The outright position change, where a guy just simply has to do something different he didn't before. He, he was a running back, then now they want to make him a fullback. A quarterback, now they want to make him a wide receiver. Something along those lines. Then we're going to talk a little bit about new schemes. So something where you're just doing something you didn't do in college entirely different schematically. And the final thing, we'll talk about a new responsibility as a pro. Something you weren't asked to do there, but you are now. So first of all, we're going to get into that outright position change. And for me, the, the name that pops to the front, uh, you know, and I worked for the Big Ten Network during the season, covered this guy, Brandon Scherf, quite a bit from the University of Iowa. He's been sort of that everybody's favorite offensive lineman towards most of the top of the list as a guard, but he played left tackle in college uh, at the left tackle grading. Some of the teams in the league we've or around the NFL, we've heard say, hey, this guy would still be a top left tackle. Some are just saying guard. We got on this call, Gray Rugum, a guy has played virtually every position in the offensive line. Wanted to talk to you. Just throw it at you, Gray, and see, you know, what, what's this transition like? Should you just presume that a guy was awesome at tackle and all of a sudden he's going to be a great guard as well? Uh, as long as he stays on the, the same side. You know, left guard, left tackle is pretty similar. Uh, it's not the same when you flip sides. I played right tackle and left tackle in college. And the transition to left tackle was way different from playing on the right side. So just, you know, flopping tackle to tackle, it takes time to coordinate your body. I would liken it to someone, you know, being a right, right-handed right person, sign their autograph, and then automatically, oh, no, you have to sign with your left hand. It takes time. <laughs> right. It's going to look ugly for a little bit, but there's, there's transition. And especially going from tackle where you play in space and you kind of learn your timing in that regard, moving to guard – also takes time, even if it is left guard, because now you're playing in confined space. Your footwork changes. So you'd like to say it's a smooth transition. You know, all the coaches like that, but 
in reality, that's not the way it works. It takes time to get it. And I mean, you guys know as well as I do, coaches get fairly impatient, and so do uh, the media. I wonder, I saw I saw that you see this kind of thrown out there a lot where a guy struggles at left tackle, or excuse me, he does a great job in college at left tackle, but they guess that he's not athletic enough. So they just say, oh, screw it, he'll be all right. You know, and I always wonder, you know, I know a lot of that's because of blindside considerations with quarterbacks. And you look at it now, this was actually kind of surprising to me. I think with Michael Vick now probably not in a starting role, Tim Tebow's now coming back in the NFL, who knows at what role, but there aren't any lefties out there. So there seems to be sort of a definitive understanding of what is a left and what is a right. Are there any sort of misnomers uh, in your view, Gray, of, of what those real responsibilities are between the two positions? Well, I think, you know, tackle, playing in space, you generally put your bigger, more athletic guys out there because they have to play in space. You look at uh, Tyron Smith with the Cowboys. The dude's a large man, and he can play in space. You know what I mean? But he has long levers. He can run, by, run guys by the quarterback. And when you don't have those physical characteristics like he has, it, it can be difficult. But that's not to say guys can't do it. You want your athletic guys out on the edge because, by and large, you don't, you're not facing true power players. Unless J.J. Watt moves out there or, right. you know, you have a true physical presence at D-end, you want athletic tackles that can, you know, kind of match the speed of the D-ends. Guard, you want some, you know, kind of some groundhogs. I always wonder when they have a guy that they think might struggle, and to your earlier point, it's the flipping of the feet that can be tough. I know this from punt team stuff. I don't know if Rock had these I, I was just going to say that, Matt. I was exactly. going to compare that because I know you and I both played. I was a, a right side on the punt team. It didn't matter if it was guard or tackle, right. but I was more comfortable with my left foot being my push-off foot and my right foot kind of being my, my base. And when I had to flip to the other side, I could do it, but I, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And, 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 and Gray, as you were talking, I was literally thinking about that uh, and how, how my feet said when I was playing. And it's funny, too, because I, I, I don't know if it always registers with a coach, and that's not something you necessarily want to admit to your position coach. depends on you know what level of comfort you have with them. I, I think later in my career as a teams guy, and you're a captain, and you kind of go, like, dude, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, like, I've done the same thing for, like, nine years. Please don't make me switch my feet now and, and go back to being sort of preschool. I always wondered if, if you thought that was the consideration or if you thought that you might run into some guys that were a different body type that you didn't. You didn't want to deal with a speed guy, but his feet just felt fine. What's the harm in leaving him where he is and just chipping more or, or well, just – yeah. doing something along those lines as opposed to making them do an outright position change. Well, cause you know, I think it make, makes coaches uncomfortable because they now have to adjust <laughs> right. to a player. They're like, Oh, you know what? I have to make an adjustment because we don't have a true left tackle. Well, offensive line play, you don't pick it up right off the bat. And especially I think what, what's getting missed is there's very few players that transition from college as an offensive lineman that can come in and start right away. It doesn't happen because of the tempo of the game the strength and the speed and the schemes that you're learning. You know, as an offensive lineman, I had to know what everyone else was doing right, and then adjust right. to the defense. So it's not like you just step in there. There are some guys that can do it, and they're rare birds, but that becomes the norm. Like, coaches want that all the time, but that's not reality. I would challenge anyone out there who's, you know, one hand dominant, eat with your other hand. Just try eating with <laughs> right. your other hand right. for a day and, and see how right. frustrated and annoyed you get because you can't cut a steak. Or maybe we can get get somebody get somebody out there to drive with the other hand. I, I'm more of a knees guy, and I like to shave my head when I drive. But I, I yeah, you're right. It's if you don't have that ambidextrousness, 
it's shocking. And they just assume, hey, it's all it's all the same position. So hey, I'm going to transition here to rock a little bit because I'm curious about this. And I, I always I always kind of read statements like that from from scouts who, who know the game well, but haven't had to play it. And there's just sort of a, hey, you just go do this. Like, as I mentioned before, it's almost <laughs> like it's a left tackle is the hierarchy. You're not as good at that. Go do, go do guard and you'll be fine. Um, and I also think it kind of applies to the linebacker position that Rock and I, Rock and I played where, you know what, I'm not so sure he can do this at, you know, thing that's required of him uh, in this scheme, but we'll just go have him be a coverage linebacker. And I always think of that as, you know, okay, he's a little bit lighter. Maybe he's not great against the run, but they still run the ball on third down. There's still, <laughs> still right. runs from sub and nickel <laughs> packages. So, Rock, how do you feel about this where, where, where they're just coming to you and saying you're going to play something you've never done before? Well, first of all, let me say this in general, especially from a, a defensive perspective now. In, in today's NFL, I, I think you, versatility, the NFL is demanding versatility now right. more than ever. I think in, in specifically offenses more and more seemingly are trying to design schemes to get that one-on-one matchup, Matt. You know, they're trying to get that running back out in space on the slug middle linebacker. You know, you see right. that more and more. So I think you that's why the days of the big run-stopping middle linebacker that's 260 pounds and plays in a phone booth, I think, are, are kind of going by the wayside because offenses are so more trying to get that one-on-one matchup, get a, get a fast guy on a, on a slow guy or get a – a six-seven tight end matched up on a cornerback and use that kind of mismatch. So I think it's, it's. I mean, I mean, I think rosters have always demanded some degree of versatility because you know there's only 53 guys, only 45 right. are active in college. There's exactly. there's 80, you know. So so you you but so you have to be. That's why you know a guy like me and a guy like you lasted nine years in the league because we could play middle linebacker, outside linebacker, we could play special teams and we could rush the passer in a pinch you know what i mean so it's but even more so now like i said with how much more offense are are going to one-on-one matchups and trying to exploit them and plus think about this guys offense is now going more and more up tempo so you don't have the time to pull out your middle Mm -hmm. linebacker and rush (laughs) you know what i mean so it's it's you know because of the speed you got to play with the guys that are in the game um you know so i i think the guys that can do more are going to be more valuable um and just from a just from a linebacker perspective you know as gray as you were talking about the the differences of you know playing a guard versus a tackle or left side or right side for me as a linebacker i, I you know i was a mostly an outside linebacker but i could also play middle i could also rush all that stuff but to me the difference was visually because obviously when you're an outside linebacker you're exactly. kind of looking down the line of scrimmage, I could always, exactly. I could tell pass or run much better. I could see if a guy was firing out or if he was pass blocking. When you're in the middle, I love the fact that I could go sideline to sideline more. But I hated the fact that, like when it, you know, when it was right there in front of me. Sometimes if, if it was a, a play, an off tackle play, you couldn't quite. It was maybe maybe it was just me. I was just more used to being outside linebacker. I love I love playing middle, but I I I just I, you know that was kind of. It took a while for me to get, I guess, is what I'm saying. Matt, did you have a, a similar experience with something like that? Well, I'm thinking like, you know, old Buick LeSabre days or my parents where they had like <laughs> the bench seat in the front of the car when you have that just <laughs> giant leather, pleather, whatever it was seat. And the view, uh, your point. I mean, if you sit in the middle of the bench seat and you see all that traffic coming around, you got a guy left and right of you. It's just a different world. You, you're pressed against the door and you only have one way to look. It's different right. and it looks different. And mm-hmm. you get really acclimated to seeing the world that way. 
uh, the handedness, not so much where we talked, you know, with your feet before, but as an outside linebacker, if you get just used to simply doing moves on that side of the ball, something as little as flopping to the other side and having to switch your stance. It's something that some teams don't make guys do like a defensive end that ends up on the right side and has to flop over to the left. Some guys will let them keep their feet the same. But what invariably happens is when they pass rush, you really want to make that corner turn on your third step. It's an odd step. If that guy has to go to his fourth because his feet are flipped, or to a second, which is too early, uh, he sometimes doesn't make the corner, so it looks kind of right. ugly. But those things definitely matter. Uh, I would look at this way. One of the things that we also see is uh, the guy Shane Ray from Missouri is a guy that pops to my head, a guy that is super productive in college. You know, He gets all sorts of crazy sacks. He plays against top competition in the SEC, so you know that's not a concern. And he really plays against big offensive tackles in the SEC, too. It's not like, for me, I was a guy that came from a Division II school, so we knew there was going to be a size difference jump where you don't know if he can handle the bigger dudes. He's played against big people. He's always been 240-something. But yeah. now there's that concern. Can he play the end? Like, Gray, from your point of view as, as, a, as an offensive lineman, when you catch one of those 240-pound guys relative to like a 270, which is not a huge dude, it's a good-sized dude, but they just yeah. feel different in your hand. Sometimes that extra little bit of luggage makes a huge difference in whether or not you can be an impact at the next level. No questions. I mean, you get your hands on a, on a smaller guy, you try to shake him like a rag doll because you can. Exactly. You can actually pick him up. You're kind of like, oh, this is awesome. But, you know, a heavier guy that brings a little more funk to it can, you know, it gets you off balance. But, you know, Shane Ray brings – he brings a lot to the table. To be, I'll be real curious to see how he transitions because he played against some talent, but now he's playing against a lot more top talent on a daily basis. Right. So, you know, to Rocky's point earlier, I think what gets lost in translation from scouts and everything else is nuance. When you've played the position you know it well – you're very good at nuance, and that's where you see players really develop and get good, get to the Pro Bowl, and you know, become fan favorites because they're very good at nuance. And well, that, that, the, that, that, that's what keeps you in the league. I'll right. point well, to a guy. You, you brought, you brought yeah. up a perfect example. I'll just say this really quick. Rob Ninkovich is a guy that jumps in my head when you say that. He will not test as well as you. He will not look as good as you as far as all the measurables and things like that. Yeah. All those little things about leverage and hand placement and just being able to read what you're doing is why he's been so great in this league. And you're not going to be able to figure that out now. you got to throw him in a training camp and a preseason game and a regular season game mm-hmm. and see what they can do. Go ahead, Rock. My bad. Right. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I think what, what, when a player is allowed to – I mean, look, some players can – look, you can – Put them basically anywhere. Put them at any offensive line position. Put them at any linebacker position. They'll thrive. I mean, Clay Matthews was a guy that I always in college. If I'm not mistaken, he was kind of a behind the ball, off the ball linebacker. And I remember when they drafted him, he's going to be an outside four, you know, three, four line. How's this going to work? Well, it's been working right. pretty good, right? And then you <laughs> right. saw yeah. in a pinch last year. He had to go back and play back off the ball, and and he was able to do it. That's that's rare. I mean, Khalil Mack last year for the Raiders in college, he was a Three, four, stand up, rush off the edge, outside linebacker, and in the pros, he's been doing both. I mean, some guys can do it, some guys can't. Mm-hmm. I think for the for you know maybe it, it's that's more the uh, that that's not really the norm, but I think for most guys, if they can get comfortable in a spot, now they're not out there thinking, they're out there reacting, and you guys both know that that's when you're playing your best when you're thinking. Okay, God, now, now visually, okay, now I gotta see, I gotta see the right guard if he comes out. Now I gotta see the the tight, you know, this way, or you, know, you gotta be able to kind of 
get into that comfort zone. And again, some guys can can bounce across and play any spot, and the very athletic guys can, and some guys can. That's that's all mm-hmm. part of the the draft process and seeing uh, if a guy, hey, how does he flip his hips? I know Shane, I know he runs right. a passer, but but can he flip his hips and can he do that? If he can, that makes him even more valuable. Or a guy like Shane, and again, I don't, I don't know if this is his particular situation at Missouri, but sometimes teams that had played 4-3 lines will be more apt to hide a guy. You know, you can you can read uh, strength pre-snap. They come out of the huddle, even if it's yeah. no huddle, and you set a tight end and you send the guy away. You know, you just try to send them away right. from run strength to try to hide them. Sometime in the NFL with a quick shift, and the teams know what you're doing. You know, they they see you line up when the tight end goes away. Well, then they shift right after the right right after they right. align. So the, it, you can't hide the NFL, and I think that's probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest issues. You actually made a, a, an interesting idea there that helps me transition to this next idea, Rockets. You talked about, you know, that different look of when you're on the ball or off the ball and the way Clay Matthews did both. Now, what if you're a guy like Clay who had started off the ball, you remain off the ball, but all of a sudden it's a new scheme. That's sort of that second idea where you're sitting at home, you're saying, hey, he, he played inside linebacker at Alabama and you know now he's on my team and he's still playing inside linebacker. What's the difference? What's the struggle? At the 3-4 linebacker versus 4-3 argument, it is huge. So you may have seen the guy standing in front of the guard, and he may have been playing 4-3 middle linebacker. And the difference between that and 3-4 inside linebacker is night and day. So I can offer a little little personal experience there where, I, yeah, the way I kept jobs in the NFL was being able to back up all four guys and start on a pinch at any of the four spots. You know, uh, whatever, you know, never being able to be that great at any, but able to do all of them competently. But when that transition had to go from, for me, who in college was more of an outside linebacker guy to play inside linebacker in a four, three, you flow, you read backfield sets. You can read the guards a little bit, not too tough. As soon as you have to stand over a guard who's uncovered in a three, four and go downhill and hit the 320 pound (laughs) dude, like great each time life changes, life life flashes before your eyes, each and every huddle. So that's one of those things where, you know, Oh, he always played inside. Now it's a new scheme guys. in that particular change from Mike linebacker or even will linebacker, which is, is still over a guard in a three, four. That's something that's huge. Is there any kind of transition like that uh, gray in the offensive line, some sort of scheme difference? Like we did something entirely different in college. I'm still playing left guard, yeah. But this ain't the same. Well, you know, I would say just if we talked about earlier is that the changing scheme that we're seeing now in college that's trickling in with Chip Kelly and the Eagles, this spread, this hurry-up tempo. When you look at the game of football, technique is kind of going out the window in the hurry-up, and you have better athletes running yeah. sideline to sideline, bigger athletes. So your technique definitely changes from that pure zone read you know, that we're seeing to a power yeah. scheme. Right. And I always played in, you know, power run games where we had power. You pull a guard, you kick out. Yep. You had your off tackle. You had misdirection. But the pure zone is way different. So if you're a left guard and you're used to, you know, your footwork being blocking heavy 320-pound defensive linemen, and then now you have to, you know, you, you got to pick that guy up and move him three yards off the ball and then get lateral. Right, it's right. different than zone where you're lateral right now up to the second level chasing you guys. I hated chasing linebackers because they're always faster. <laughs> so I you flopped. I'm a fat you, offensive you lineman. So, you know, <laughs> every, every, everyone complained about holding, but it's only holding if they call it because I can't right. catch you unless I hold you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, Rock, how about you? Any experiences in this sort of flipping among schemes would never actually change in position? Yeah, absolutely. In, in kind of both ways, Matt. Like, you know, when in college at Notre Dame, I played – 
more or less a on over the tight end linebacker, right? And and I and I'll but, you know by the way I kind of hated it because I'm like I'm, I'm you know I got decent speed here. Why are you making me wrestle with this guy all game? But <laughs> anyways, but yeah. So but when I got to got the NFL, you know, drafted by the Titans, and and I was immediately moved off the ball, and that was. You know, and I didn't sum in college, but not a lot. But so it was a little bit of a transition to get to that. But I, I loved it, and I, and I, you know, I started. You know, I, I felt like I, I played played very well in it. But then I got used to that scheme and more of a you know a Tampa two kind of kind of thing. And the yeah. same thing with Indy. Well, then I remember after Indy, I went and I signed with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and it was a completely different kind of scheme it wasn't it wasn't you know a tampa two thing and how they played their linebackers was was different and i so i wound up getting cut you know because i couldn't <laughs> right, you know, right. you know I, I couldn't make that transition that quickly just in training camp now obviously with with college players and i think what helped me when i was a rookie was look obviously the coaches have a little more patience with you and okay hey let's get this and now but when you're a you know you're a, a seventh year NFL player that's just signed to a team, they you know they they signed you. You're expected to just go out there and just kind of know it. But it was it was a hard transition for me. I, I think I I definitely could have gotten it, could have had more time at it. But I think once you get at the NFL level, you get kind of in, ingrained in a certain kind of scheme, you know. And then well, then by the way, then my eighth year I went well because I went to Kansas City and played that year. It's kind of the same scheme I've been used to. Then my eighth year. I went to um, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was a three-four defense, and that was completely different. So, Wrong, totally it's, different. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. Um, you know, obviously there's some guys that, that can do it, but I, I think that's that's rare. You, you kind of got to get there. The, again, the, the rookies can get you know have a little bit of benefit of, of time and patience with the coaches, where they can dial in and, and get used to that coming from college to pros. Well, I, I actually like Gray's point here from a second ago where he talked about the difference between sort of being in a zone scheme and maybe having a zone scheme that's just simply run differently or the switch to a power. Now take this situation that you reference and change from had you made that move from left tackle to guard and now you're the pulling guy. I mean, a guy that's not played left tackle yeah. isn't used to pulling around the ball. So you've not yeah. only changed the position, you've slid down, your view's different as we talked about. You might have a guy over you that's a much different body type. Now all of a sudden you got to drop step and pull around a guard and pick up somebody on the move. That Those little tweaks, uh, those are night and day for a player. Yeah, well, especially when you pull and you have to kick out a linebacker or defensive end that knows you're coming. And right. never done it before. <laughs> Those guys I mean, that cheat I've, back, I've been, you see it in the stance, the white knuckle thing or the light fingers or whatever it is, or I mean, they, yeah. cheat, <laughs> they cheat back in their stance a little bit and they get a little deeper than the center. Oh yeah. And you, you start peeking around the corner. You're like, all right, I got to block this guy. <laughs> yeah. right. And then, you know, when you actually roll around the corner and you get lit up, you're like, son of a bitch, that did exactly. not work the way I thought it would. Right. Well, yeah, I, mean, uh, that, I wanted that, to... that scheme. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted to touch on just a couple other things before we change out of the scheme idea. Uh, obviously, we're we're linebackers here, Rock, so we got to do both of it. We got to do the run staff, and we got to do the pass. Mm-hmm. I think coverage is one thing that is such a huge unknown with, with a lot of these college players, just because they're not asked to do it. Not Rock and I both work for ESPN doing college games. We see a lot of MAC teams, a lot of MAC games where. I don't know you, Rock, but when we do our sort of in week interviews with some of the head coaches, and I start you know, 
prepping before I'm watching film and I'm saying, what coverages do you run? And they say, well, basically man and quarters. We'll play a lot of quarters. Like literally, and you go and watch a game, they literally play like one or two coverages the entire day. So you've got this incredible athlete, actually, uh, Byron Jones, I believe is his name. The, uh, the corner from Connecticut. Hope I'm getting that right. Uh, but just an incredible athlete, but they play really simple scheme stuff. So it's really tough to tell how this guy is going to translate, especially if he's, you know, doing, doing something he hadn't done before. And all of a sudden he's got to read defenses. Teams are shifting in motion and more, more than you used to all that kind of stuff. The, the coverage part of it's a big deal. And for us linebackers, we're a part of that formula. I mean, we have to figure out yeah, matchups with crossing routes that may not happen as much at the other level, uh, all those kinds of things. All of a sudden you're playing two, three, four, one combination coverages, all these things where you were right. used to just playing a couple of things. Well, I, I think part of that is, is the result of, as we kind of touched on earlier, is, is the up-tempo offense in college. I mean, it's everywhere. It's it's really it's really the rule and not the exception anymore. When, when there's a when I call a game and there's a team that huddles, I'm like, oh my god, I actually get to talk. To <laughs> get <game."> to breathe. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I, so I, I think defensive coordinators are just saying look, the easiest thing to do look it's you know the easiest thing to do when you know things are going really really fast is hey look you go just go cover that guy right I and mean, that's kind of the right, easiest right. thing a coordinator cat defense. can yeah, can, I get yeah, this exactly. cat. You got that cat. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You're, we used to call it the MF or defense. You got that MF or I got that MF. Right? <laughs> you know I mean? So yeah, but but it's so I, I think that's a little bit of a result. But to your point, when you get to the NFL, things are more complex because there's more time to devise schemes and offensive and defensive coordinators got all the time in the world and they're not stupid, right? So they're gonna figure right. out schematically what you're not good at, what you are good at, and try to exploit it. I, I, I think. You know, I, I think definitely a guy. Let's let's take a cornerback a, a for instance, a guy who's who's a who's great at man to man. I think it's easier for him to become good at zone than it is for a guy who's just done all heavy heavy zone, and now you're asking him to cover man to man. That's a that's a scary proposition. You know, I mean, that's, that's well, especially that's because you. Oh, sir, go ahead. You're used. No, no, to, no, I was you, just going to no, say. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying, because you're used to passing things off. If you're that zone guy, you take it to right. a certain depth or you take it across one zone and you're used to letting it go. All of a sudden, the play extends to seven or eight seconds. You're like, oh, my Lord, I've never done this before. You know, right, right, <laughs> Can right. someone get there? Because um, this is recess now. This isn't fun. Right. There, there was a, a guy I played with in Indianapolis, Jason David, who was a cornerback. And, and you know, like we played Tampa 2 80% of the time, and he was a great corner. He signed uh, the next year after the Super Bowl year. He signed with the uh, New Orleans Saints, and uh, he was asked to do a lot more in terms of man coverage. And he didn't, you know, he, he struggled a little bit. You know what I mean? Because I think he was kind of used to, like you said, okay, passing this thing off, read, react to the ball, let's go. You know, instead of you know having to cover a guy for three, four, five plus seconds. So it's a it's a tough thing to do, but uh, it's definitely you know colleges aren't doing guys any favors, and even. Even wide receivers. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, here's the offensive scheme run out here and we kind of do this instead of now they get to the NFL. They're not quite as prepared, I don't think, as guys even, you know, five, ten years ago were when they go from the transition from college to pro. I think they have well, to make that, that tough decision. Are, are we trying to – and, Gray, you, you would be able to speak this as much as any. Gray has done work at a lot of colleges as a strength and conditioning coach and a coach in offensive line at both Arizona State and Washington. And you have to go through this where, hey, are we trying to get them to be the best college players we can? Or, or we is this a pro preparation thing? And those are two entirely different things. If we can teach absolutely. them the quick thing that will actually get us rolling, maybe that serves us better. But I think there are those places that NFL placement is a big part of their lure. 
So they have to sort of serve two masters. Yeah, that's why I think you're you're spot on with that because I think a lot of coaches get around to just coaching scheme and they get away from coaching football. You know, so your football IQ right. with a lot of kids, I had to spend a lot of time as a strength conditioning coach reaffirming and reteaching football, not scheme. Right. The kids were down with the scheme, but actually knowing football, and that may sound kind of weird to some people, but knowing situational football, being aware of the entire game, not just the scheme, and how right. do you fit in, you know, to the grand picture? Because, I mean, let's face it, if you're not winning, you're looking for a job. So coaches <laughs> right, have that right. pressure, you know, to perform. They have to get those wins, and they have to get the kids in the door. And once they leave college, most coaches are like, yeah, hey, I got this guy to the NFL, or no, that kid didn't work out. He was a terrible athlete, or, you know, what, whatever it is. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, coaches will come up with – every excuse known to man of why it didn't work or why it did work. And it's, I think it's a huge disservice because you see it in the NFL. It takes, it takes guys longer to acclimate because I think that football, that overall football knowledge isn't there to learn how to play different schemes and adapt. I think that's where all three of us were able to thrive because we knew football and it wasn't just scheme specific. We could adapt on the fly. One of one of the one a quick story here from uh, that really I think shows sort of the difference between college and pro. It's actually a different game. I mean, there really is just because there's so many more layers in my view. Years ago, we were playing Steve Stur- Steve Spurrier's Redskins. Remember, he kind of made the jump up. He was going to bring all that Steve Ball or whatever, and and it, it, we had had a tip going into that week where we had been watching a ton of film on them leading up to the game. And, and what, what you often see in the college game is, is these route concepts where you'll same, see the same, you know, say if you got three receivers to one side of the ball, you'll see the same three-man pattern over and over and over again. The way they hide it is they change the formation. They might do a different personnel group. But all of a sudden, these same concepts would pop back, and you'd see them over and over again. And throughout the week of, of scouting these guys, we had a great tip that was like, dude, they line up in this. You can almost go out and stand and they'll run the route to you because, you know, it's just, it's that college thing. Like, uh, you know, I'm running the route tree. Yeah. It's, it's three fifty four or whatever. One guy runs the three, the five and the four. And it's like, it's just memorized, you know? And I think a lot of, we, we killed in that game. And it was almost like giggling as we come over to the side. It was like, dude, they did it again. Like, you, you go back I was like, I can't believe they keep running these same route combinations. You're calling the plays before we go out there. But I think at that particular position, which is obviously one that none of us played, but receivers can struggle with that a little bit because if you're used to sort of that route tree mentality where you come out of the huddle and they tell you which one you're running uh, and you're put in a situation I know the Patriots are one of those places where it's very concept based where you're reading the whole picture as, as you sort of mentioned Greg you gotta see everything you gotta you gotta understand the drops that they're making the what's changing their coverage to pick you up a certain way or not because you're gonna have to sit down in one route that might not have been what you thought you were gonna run once the play was snapped so I think that's a big challenge for some of those guys out there well, and Matt, let me take that a step further in terms of, uh, I guess, the how hard it is to transition, you know, how players to transition from college to pro. Look, look at the quarterbacks. That's what all the big debate oh, between yeah. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota is, are, are they just system guys? I mean, guy, you, you know, a lot of these college quarterbacks, what do they do? They come to the line, and then they call a few, a few cadence, and then what do they do? They look to the sideline, and the coach – freaking tells them what the play is and what the route tree is. And you don't have that luxury. You know, college is more system-based. 
in the NFL is more player-based. It's a, it's a player making an amazing play, finding a mismatch and letting your amazing player make a play. And that's, that's the big debate, whether, again, whether it's Mariota or James Wentz, can they adapt to it? Do they have, Gray, as you were talking about, the, the, just the football knowledge? Do they, are they aware of down and distance? Are they aware of what hash marker they're on? Are they aware of what defensive personnel? Are they aware that the, the linebacker on the other team uh, has a hurt knee and, and can't come downhill right. quite as good? All those things, that's, that's why it's so hard to, hard to pick quarterbacks, you know what I mean? But, again, it's kind of the same point of the transition from college, system-based, system-based to pro. Now you're required to do more than that. You're required to win more one-on-one matchups, and, and you can't just be a robot out there. Well, it's worth mentioning too. I don't know if fans out there understand this, but we we get a playbook uh, that you get in training camp, and you never see it again as we get yeah. to the season. It's yeah. sort of like installation. Like imagine, you know, all the fans out there listening at home went through high school or maybe college, and you have those sort of one on one classes. You know, like where they introduce everything, and you get this broad based knowledge of stuff. For us, for the teams that I played on anyway, in a few different schemes once you got to the regular season, it was taking those original concepts and it was different every single week. You know, we would have something that was tagged with cover two, but it was specific to the Jets, whatever, whatever, two, or, you know, whatever, the Dolphins, whatever, whatever, four. And it has a unique thing. That's why I think it's it's, it's really a waste of time to try to grade uh, people's NFL film from the outside where, where the responsibility actually changes week to week. You may see a covered shell that looks the same as what you saw the week before, but when you see them make an error, might not be an error. So I think that's something to always kind of keep in mind that how, how you not only have to learn something, you have to be able to adjust on the fly because teams are so game plan heavy, at least the defenses I played on. They're switching up stuff sort of week to week. I'm going to transition your guys to the last idea. This is really the third thing that I think players have to account for. And it's, you know, we talked before about an outright position change. We talked about a new scheme where you're still playing the same position. This idea where you just simply have a new responsibility. You're, you're playing the same spot. Scheme hasn't changed that much for you, but all of a sudden your coach is asking you to stop the drill. Coach never asked, and I think that really dictates whether a guy gets playing time. Uh, one example I would put is you know backs that have to learn how to pass pro. You know you're running back in in college football. You, you, first thing you want to know is you know your yards per carry, how many yards the dude get, touchdowns, all those kind of things. They'll talk about his ability to transition to the pros. Can he catch the ball out of the backfield? But I often think what will earn you that nickel or the sub sub personnel group rep is actually if you can pass pro. Yeah, you got to catch it. Yeah, you got to be able to read maybe different run schemes when you're running the ball. But if that, you know, you might get 20 carries in the game. There were 40 or 50 other plays <laughs> and on those plays. <laughs> yeah. You're probably blocking somebody or maybe you're not. And that's why you're not in the game. But uh, ideas like that, that maybe you got, you know, maybe great, like you're cut blocking yeah. much more at one level than you did the last. I think kickers and punters. I mean, kickers and punters in college, kick it down the middle of the field as far as you can. Now you get in the NFL and they're asking you to directionally kick. Or they're, they're, they're clocking your hang time and trying to get you to put it on a spot. Mm-hmm. I've been around a lot of kickers and punters that really struggle with that. How about you guys? Some idea of uh, a new responsibility as a pro uh, that, that's difficult to, to sort of grasp a hold of. Well, uh, I would say just, just to your example from the running back perspective, you know, when I was in New York, I played with Ahmad Bradshaw. And – Ahmad was he, he's a smaller guy. He's not a big stature guy, but we made it a point to get all the running backs, Derek Ward, all those guys, and learn how to pass block. So when you know he was in on pass protection, he actually did a pretty decent job. But then he could get out of the backfield and catch, and that was something that he was never really asked to do in college. But it was the offensive line saying, "All right, this is the pass protection line is sliding this way. You're responsible for that guy." 
and learning that communication nuance between the tackle or the guard saying, all right, you know, if, if one of you guys, linebackers, walks up in the A-gap, Ahmad's got to run up and he's got to cut the defensive tackle because I'm taking the linebacker. So from a communication standpoint and, you know, kind of teaching and learning that, we offensive line and running back had to be on the same page. And that was definitely something that you see running backs get trucked all the time because they've never done it. So well, you, you mentioned – yeah, well, that's where that body difference comes in play. It's it's interesting True. you mention that. I'll just tell a quick story here with uh, Danny Woodhead, who I love. Friend, great player, uh, has really crafted a role for himself out in San Diego now. Uh, but I, Danny was a rookie with us in New York years ago. And Danny Woodhead, uh, I'll, I'll tell this because I'm fond of him. I'm not, not, definitely not knocking the guy because he's hung around because he's figured this out. But he was a guy that in training camp pass pro, we weren't allowed to go against his linebackers. It, he was a bug on the windshield. You know, you, you, would, you would just walk right through him each and every play. And because he wasn't allowed to cut block, which you don't get to do in practice, I don't know if fans at home recognize that. We're not, they're not allowed to dive into one another's legs in practice. That's a good way to start a fight. Uh, but it, adding that little extra level, he's so good with the ball in his hands. He's so good as a back. He's good out of the backfield catching it. But until he could stand up into that A gap, as you mentioned, and stop the on charge, you just couldn't trust it enough. Once he figured it out, wow, this guy's a stud. But th- there's definitely a, a a learning process to that as well. Well, absolutely. And let me just say, just I, I think the the beauty of the NFL guys is it it demands that you have no glaring weakness. Why? Because right. If you're on the other team and you see a young Danny Woodhead come in the game, the guys in the NFL are smart. These coordinators are smart. The players are smart. So they're going to say, all right, we're going to bring a blitz here on this guy. We're going to see how much this guy wants to pass block because we know he can't very well. I remember, guy, we played when I was with the Titans, we, when we would play Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams was a great running back, right? Wasn't the best pass blocker. So when he was in the <laughs> game and in a certain situation, we were bringing the dogs, right? So it, it – Again, that's again that's part of the uh, as I said the beauty of it because it, if you have a weakness, man, the other team <laughs> will exploit it. They one way or another they will exploit it. Again, guys are smart, and whether you can't drop into coverage or whether hey, if we do this, you know, you're a you're a weak side linebacker, but if we if we trade the tight end and all of a sudden you're on the strong side and you can't get off a tight end's block, we're going to exploit right. that. So the best yeah. players out there, and I think this is kind of the theme of our whole radio show here is. Versatility is good. You know, you, if you can be versatile and do a lot of things in the NFL, you're probably going to play a while and you're probably going to make a ton of money. Well, and Rocky, you know, to add on to your point, I think you just spoke to the essence of what the NFL is. There's a ton of expectation built around athleticism and that projection of a player to, to now come from college. Oh, he's a great athlete. He, he'll be able to transition. We know that guys can do that, and that's the expectation mm-hmm. that we, you know, fans and coaches and everyone has and you know realistically does it always happen no i mean you have plenty plenty of examples of guys who wash out because they haven't been able to adjust but that is the expectation because it is the very best i think one of the things that sometimes doesn't register through the tv something i forget i don't know if you guys have this experience getting back down on the field and getting around players you forget how big everyone is that's the first thing it's like man these guys are monsters you know like when you're away from the game and you're just watching tv you don't notice that and you start critiquing film, you start watching players, and, you know, you can pick out the guy that's just the average guy, which I was, uh, to, to be candid. So you see that guy, and you don't, you don't realize, and again, I'm not, not, not me, but say another guy like me, even the guys that aren't very good are, are still pretty damn good. And, and it's hard. <laughs> do, do you, you know what I mean? Like the guys that, 
the guys that look average out there are doing it at exceptional speed and rate and can knock your head off just like the other. So it's, it's really an appreciation of the ones that do it at a really high level, just how good that is. And, and yeah. I think that's something where you're, you see guys that really kick ass in college. It's because there's such a discrepancy and talent between the good guys and the guys that aren't as good in the NFL. The bad guys are still good too. So the, the one you see a guy really stand out, it, it's something special. But the, you really are in a, in a dogfight on virtually every down, even with a guy who's not an air quotes star. Right. Well, yeah. and, and to your point, that, that, that is what's, what, what's fun about it, is when you can see when a guy can dominate an NFL game, my God. You know, it's like right. this is seriously you – know, everyone out here deserves to be out. Even if, you know, like you said, they're not the, the first-round pick or they're an undrafted free agent, whatever. Every guy has a, has a skill set. They're in the 1% or whatever. When a guy can dominate a, a game, when you see a Calvin Johnson do what he does or, a, you know, whatever, a Russell Wilson do what he does, it's, it's greatly an appreciation. And to your point, Matt, when I do a game now, I'm on the sideline, I look out on that field and I go, I used to do that? My God, man, these guys are <laughs> right, moving right. around real pretty fast out there. <laughs> right. Just hurts to watch. But, uh, well, oh, I'll yeah. touch on one of, the, one of the little spot here that uh, this – I know a guy like Gray can take advantage of a guy like this. It doesn't understand this. And and for the three of us that played sometimes starting, sometimes backup roles, it, preseason is a fun time as a veteran, as a guy who's been around for a few years, and you get to that sort of second group or third group, and they don't know all the little tricks. This is one of the things that you kind of get to see as we head into training camps and off seasons and things like that, how these young players adapt when they're battling veterans that kind of know those little things. One of the big things with with uh, pass rushing, both both for the offensive linemen and the, and the D linemen and linebackers, is not knowing how far upfield you can go. I know I watch a lot of college games, and you'll see that guy – you know, get the sack and he's rushed 15 yards upfield and he's turning down the corner and, you know, he's, he's running back down the pocket. You go past the left, the depth of a quarterback in the NFL. I know for our team, you just got your ass chewed. And there are some teams oh, in the yeah, NFL that let done. you be a little yeah. more aggressive with that. But that idea that all these D linemen who are used to just, you know, carte blanche, I'll go over what I want, coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a play. They don't let you do that here. And all of a sudden you've got a little more restrictive workspace and you still got to try to make plays. I think there's a lot of guys that struggle with that. And for you, a guy like like you, Gray, all of a sudden the guy can't just do whatever he wants, and you can get a little bit of a read on it pre-snap what I think this guy's going to do. Understanding sort of the strictures around you can, can be an advantage. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun because, it, I, you know, I ended up playing a lot. I took a ton of reps in the preseason because I played right guard, left guard, and center. So I always played with the rookies, and I had to coach them up. So we knew, you know, limited game plans in preseason. We'd have fun, and we'd totally screw with guys on the other team because <laughs> we could. You know, right. and, you know, right. you'd call a combination blocker. You'd say one thing, and they catch on. Then, you know, you dummy call. And yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of fun to be able to work with that because you knew the game, and you could basically direct traffic, which was, right. you know, which was great. And, you know, if it made you look good in the process, awesome. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I get away, We get away with that all the time. Our, our position, come back to your position coach. He's like, you knew that was coming, right? And he's like, I also know you won't have, you won't be able to do that in October, but good job. <laughs> Matt, Matt, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing I remember talking about last year. And, and of course, every NFL player loves the new CBA and there's not the padded practices. Off seasons right. are shorter, but I mean, kind of to the point you were just talking about, these, these rookies aren't, aren't getting the time to, 
acclimate themselves to learn the tricks of the trade. And look, I'm on the side of the veterans. Once you're a veteran, you're on the side that you want to see guys play long, not right. have young kids come in and take their jobs. So, but yeah, I mean, with the way I know everyone loves, you know, we don't have to hit as much, and there's not two a days and all. But now these rookies have, I mean, God, they have such a small window of time to to be able to to learn how to play the NFL game and learn some of the tricks of the trade. Where some of the vets, look, they've been around a little bit, and they they kind of can can know those those tricks and things. Yeah, and it, it's weird because uh, you wonder. It, there's, there's, there's these two competing forces. Uh, you want you, you invested in the guy. You want to see him develop. You understand he's getting less development time in the NFL because of the the restrictions he, the CBA has. But you, there's a window coming up. There's that sort of fight between you know I'd love to see this guy develop. I think he can, but I need to maximize what I can get out of him while the return on investment makes most sense. Like you want to, you want him playing now. You want him to get the most out of him before yeah. he costs five times what he cost me the last few years. So there's always sort of that that struggle between you know I know what this guy could be three or four years from now, but I don't know if I want to pay for it. So there's that turn at the bottom <laughs> that you mentioned where I know I went through this as as a veteran player. My tenth. Uh, NFL training camp, uh, I was supplanted by a dude that was given, you know, was like the fifth or sixth overall pick. He was going to get a mon- he got a monster contract and, you know, he was going to be a pass rusher. This is Vernon Golston with the Jets. And Vernon was, you know, when you pay that kind of money to a player, you have to use them. You know, they have to be out there. So, you know, you can't pay that guy a million dollars to just play special teams and backup if you have to yep. press the other guy in the field. You got you got to find a role for him. So there is that sort of pressure when the young guy comes in, he doesn't make as much money as he will, you know, once he hits that first free agency window to want to use them up, want to get the most out of them. And does that make them the best player at the end of, you know, their career? Probably, probably not, but it's the economics I think of it that, that really drive a lot of this. Yeah. Well, and that, that, that's too, a whole nother yeah. conversation too. The economics. <laughs> yes. yes <exactly. laughs> well, I was going to say the other thing too is especially with first round picks, the reason why coaches are so impatient is, they can't wait two or three or four years for a guy to develop because then they do all this teaching, they invest all this teaching, this guy becomes good, and now he goes and plays well for for another team. You know what I mean? Because, you know, guys in the NFL, they're always going to give first-round picks, whether they stink with a team or whether they're amazing. They're always going to give them the benefit of the doubt. So I've had coaches tell me that. They're like, I don't want to – I'm I'm tired of coaching this guy because he's getting – you know, by the time he's getting to where he needs to be, He's going to be out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Hey, hey, guys, I'm going to wrap here. That's going to be all today's episode. I wanted to thank you guys. It was a good talk. Had a blast. The FBF podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the Football by Football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online, and if you don't already, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. You can follow Gray Rugemer at Gray Devil 51 and you can follow Rocky Boyman at, at Rocky Boyman 50. Uh, you can follow me at Chatham 58. Thank you. We'll see you next time on the Football by Football podcast. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.